0: Welcome to the Sim Sundays podcast presented by GridFinder. In today's show, we had a few mishaps in the tech department. First, the recording wasn't started in the beginning of the broadcast, and our guest had a disconnect during the race. The saving grace was the stellar questions asked by Tom, who was not able to participate in the race since he was out of the office. As normal, we cut the race out of the audio version, but if you'd like to hear all the Q&A during the race, head on over to youtube.com slash gridfinderTV to check out the full broadcast. If you're looking to upgrade your sim rig, Visit the episode sponsor, TrackRacer, at trackracer.com. And now we join as close to the beginning as we have available. Enjoy the show. Tom, how are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm di- well, it's mixed, Chris. It's mixed. Um, okay. I'm very happy with, our, the, the, with the guests that we have on this week. Um, actually met this guy. I don't know why we, do you know, I always do this, right? I try and make it like a secret. Like I don't announce the name of the guest (laughs) until the final big reveal. And then you realize that not only will the Spotify episode have the name on it as the title, but also the YouTube has the YouTube episode has the title. But I'm like, and this particular guest is interesting because (laughs) secret. I know so secret. Uh, So Aris and I met last year at the sim racing expo. He doesn't remember me. I was in my massive orange Gridfinder hoodie, but it's fine. We're here now. I'm incredibly excited <laughs> because we have Aris who actually builds the cars in the actual game that we spend all of our actual time in, which is very cool. But I'm a bit sad because I'm not in my rig, as you can see. I'm away for the weekend, so I will not be on track. But that's boring. Less of that. Welcome, Aris. Hello.
2: Hello, Gridfinder. Finder. <laughs> And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here and uh, we don't buy that you are not uh, happy to be on your rig because we are all suffering the hot summer in Europe (laughs) and you are somewhere (laughs) in Scotland and, you know, in the fresh and everything. So just, you know, don't say those things. That's not nice. Yeah, Yeah,
1: it 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 has rained solidly. (laughs) <laughs> it's rained solidly for three days here because you know scotland so i'm feeling i'm feeling pretty good but i am jealous because the track and the car that we've picked for this week or that our communities have picked this week is incredible i'm a, I'm a bit i'm a bit gutted but swings around abouts but we have a lot to discuss aris we have a lot to discuss we have a million questions for you and this was one of those episodes where before, before every episode, we always reach out to like our discords and social media, and we say, this is our guest. If you have any questions, let us know. And we always get questions, which is great. But in this particular occasion, we get a lot of questions because people have a lot of questions about, you know, the game, how it's built, how it works, what it's like to work building these games that we all love. So it's going to be a good episode.
0: Yeah, a lot of the... the- a lot of the guests we've had so far have just been, like, content creators and racers just like us. Or, of course, you know, Tom, he got to go into the Alpine actual F1 factory. That that episode was released this morning. If you want to hear that, that's pretty cool. But this one is particularly cool for me because I'm also a developer as well. Of course, I do online software. Not anything cool like sim racing, you know. But I'm just so curious into how all of this comes together in the end. Because, you know, we just... We're those people that at in the end, if something doesn't react correctly, we go, Oh, well, psh, that car's garbage, but you actually had to program it, figure out how to make the real world synchronize with the sim world. So we'll get into a lot of that. But one thing that we kind of wanted to hear the story of is how did you go from college, being, I'm assuming you went for software development or computer programming of some sort, right? How did you go from that and then all of a sudden now you're working at Kunos and making some of the the most intricate software, like, I can personally think of. How did, how did that journey happen?
2: Well, um, first of all, life is strange, as you <laughs> might know by now, probably. And I have nothing to do in my uh, student years with uh, software development or uh, engineering, cars engineering, or something like that. Because, actually, I went from Greece to Italy to study medicine. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and some somewhere around uh, the fifth year, uh, I was like, "No, I cannot stand this. I don't like it, because <laughs> my passion was always cars and computer graphics. And uh, you know how life is. I've started to do some uh, part-time work uh, for multimedia uh, um, software house and um, interior design, uh, architectural studio. And it was nice, and I loved it. And so, at some point, you know, I had to tell my parents that, you know, what, there's no medicine for me in the future, and you know, Greek tragedy (laughs) (laughs) and everything like that. But I just followed my my passion, and slowly, uh, year after year, I tried to work towards getting into the automotive industry uh, by doing multimedia stuff uh, and things like that. And in the meantime, I was also was very interested in uh, sim racing, as always, and uh, I tried to start, you know, doing some mods on the physics. And many things happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> many things happened. Uh, I was uh, always into the Italian community and also the. Uh, the more global sim racing community. I had the opportunity uh, to work with the Simbin guys, with Stefano Casillo on the first net car. Uh, at some point, uh, it just happened that me and Stefano and Marco came more together and we decided that uh, they actually showed me uh, the first alpha version of uh, Seto Corsa back then. Uh, they didn't tell me what it was, they just told me, no, we want you to, to come over at Rome and drive something new. So I drove this uh, Formula 1 and I was like, oh my God, this is this is completely new. It feels so, so different. Uh, in the meantime, I was doing the Power and Glory mod for the GTR 2 platform, uh, which was a massive uh, uh, full total mod uh, change of the GTR 2 uh, game with... Uh, Vintage cars, and we decided to start collaborating more and more and more. I worked with the team on the latest update, on the last updates of Netcar Pro. Uh, I worked with the team for the Ferrari Virtual Academy, and then we decided to start working together properly, and we started working on what was to be a set of Corsa One. Wow. and the rest the rest is history. You know the rest more
0: or less. Right. <clears throat> well that's interesting. So yeah. when your Twitter bio, very short and succinct, says vehicle dynamics at Kunos, right? Or at a set of course, I believe it says actually. So when you say vehicle dynamics, what do you mean by vehicle dynamics? So is it the arrow? Is it you know, just the UI for adjustments, is it the obviously I wouldn't assume it's the tire model. What what does vehicle dynamics mean in it's- summary?
2: Yeah, sorry. It's everything, practically. Um, So, what it means is that my job is to understand how a car works, uh, being from the tyres to the aero, to the suspension, to the sasses, to the electronics, everything. Uh, Work together with the physics developer because uh, actually the first thing we have to say is that I am not uh, a programmer, I'm not a coder, I'm more of a scripter you could say I'm more of a modder, right? Uh, But with with the years, obviously, my my job became something more than uh, just a modder. So what I do is understand how uh, the car works in every single detail. Uh, Grab all the data from the manufacturer, from measurements that I might have to do, from telemetry for my testings on the car and so on, Uh, and then discuss with the physics programmer initially it was obviously uh, stefano casillo this uh, you know the gold like <laughs> developer uh, that uh, unfortunately is not not anymore with us uh, and now it's fernando Barbarossa, which is an amazing um, software engineer uh, with great background in uh, vehicle simulation as well a uh, great guy so i talked with him and uh, This is obviously for something new, so if I have found something new, a new feature on a car, usually electronics or something that we are not simulating properly in the aerodynamics or something like that, we talk together, we try to find out the scientific papers, uh, documentation, real uh, life uh, telemetry and so on, and we try to implement that into mathematics and code into Mm -hmm. our physics engine. And once that is implemented, uh, obviously it is implemented in a way that then I can feed it data into it. And so my job then becomes, okay, get the data that you have grabbed and uh, managed to find out and feed into the simulator, double verify that whatever we have done gives out a telemetry that is similar to the real telemetry, uh, double verify that it also is similar to the driving expectations that I I want to have from from the car, and uh, keep on doing that until you're happy. We're never happy, and it is a work that keeps on going. Uh, You improve step by step, small steps every time. You find something new, uh, you put it in, you improve, you might find something that is not simulated, so you try to again implement it, and so on. So that's what I mainly do. I find the information. I try to get as much experience as I can, discuss, implement together, and then feed the data and double verify that everything works. That's Death amazing. Thing.
0: That's amazing because, like, there are two seemingly unrelated things. Like, obviously, the virtual world, you're trying to mimic with what's happening in the real world. And the only, the only real metric you have is, like, the telemetry at the end looking the same?
2: Yeah. Well, that's... Uh, we tend to do a couple of things. Uh, one is obviously we need to know if there are any scientific, you know, data or papers that can help us uh, to implement this kind of thing. And once we have this implemented inside the, the sim, which is not easy but also relatively straightforward, you get, you know, the, the mathematical equations. You put them in, and then maybe you try to optimize them. But usually you just put them in and see what happens. Then you get out the telemetry and see if it works properly. Now, here's the problem all simulations, all simulators out there have a lot of black magic, as we say. What that means? It means that there are many things in reality that we don't know how they work mm. uh, tires, aerodynamics, up to a point, vibrations. Uh, And by not knowing how they work, I don't mean just us, the developers, but many times also the manufacturers. The tire manufacturers do not know everything there is about the tires. So there is a lot of black magic and that black black magic means, uh, depending on your experience that you have through the years, you know what to expect from some things. Okay, And when you get the results, and they do not satisfy you. You have a little bit of margin to go back and forth, and try to see if by moving the values into that small range, we're not talking, you know, completely change everything. Right, right. Uh, if the things get better, depending on your on your experience or not, you also ask the real drivers, you also ask the real engineers, and you know, it's it's that's why we're not yet there. It's still okay. step by step, step by step, trying to get closer to to, to reality as usual.
0: That's interesting. Are there moments where you're making everything match, let's say, one-to-one with the telemetry, and it, it looks fine, but it just feels off in the simulator? So you actually fudge it into a realm where it's not supposed to be, and then it starts to feel real again? Would you?
1: This is something messing we... Messing
0: with things and just making it so that it works and feels good in sim, even though the numbers aren't really one to one matching,
2: this is something we are in in our motto inside Kunos. We do not do never. Mm, okay. Uh, if we put in the, the the numbers and the thing is not feeling good, okay, that's an indicator that we are doing something wrong, very wrong, okay, uh, and that means that we have to to search. Uh, and research better to find out where the error is, because it's evident that there is an error somewhere.
0: Right, and it can be a hundred different places, I would assume.
2: Exactly. The problem (laughs) is that, uh, at least this is something that I've learned personally, and the whole Kunus team learned from from Stefano. Uh, The moment you start to tweak values to make it feel better, it's not simulation anymore. It becomes arcade, okay? Oh, it feels nice, it feels better, let's stick with that. No. You're not going to do that. Uh, Well, that brings up an interesting
0: point because, Tom, remember Lawrence's episode where we were talking about the power of force feedback, right? And a lot of us will have the DD1 or DD2. Those are the ones I have experience with where it's a ton of force fighting back on you. But that's not really how a car works. Like when you're in a car, it's not like you're making a left turn on a freeway and you're like, oh, man, it's really hard to hold in place. You're just kind of casually driving with two fingers. But we in the simulation world, for some reason, we jump into that, oh, it's got to fight back on me and, like, throw me out of my chair. That's realistic. So that's what brought up the question of, like, do you ever fudge the numbers a little bit and push them into a almost non-realistic world just so that sim racing, like doing a lot of air quotes here, feels more realistic. <clears throat> that's interesting. Because <laughs> um,
2: You know, the, the first feedback thing is one of those most... Uh talked about uh, things in, in sim racing, and Kunos has always been a little bit in the middle of, of a fight with that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we we tend to try to not give extra uh, sliders for the force feedback. Uh, okay. So, this is the problem. This is an actual real issue. Uh, driving is It's like a language, you know. So your brain has to understand the inputs and then react to those inputs. And in reality, your brain gets um, lots of inputs from from visually, obviously, uh, from audio, uh, from your hands, and from the body. From the body, exactly. G forces are very important. Vibrations in the body are very important. So, your brain knows more or less what is going to happen in real life. So, you get your brain, you put it behind a monitor, which might be fantastic, but it's still, you know, bidimensional, bi- or even if it's VR, it's still not the same thing. And you eliminate all G forces. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, now if you put the proper physics from the tires and from the suspension, the first feedback from the car should be relatively muted. It, the, 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 uh, the feedback from the steering wheel uh, when you go over a curb or over a bump, it should never you know, move around like crazy. <laughs> that is not happening in real life because if it happens, it means that your suspension is not working properly or it's not designed properly because what the real engineers are doing is give the opportunity to the driver to be extremely precise. Okay, so what you want to do is that, okay, I'm steering at 10 degrees, I'm going over the curb. You don't want the steering wheel to move around like crazy.
0: (laughs) Throw your hands back and forth. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And this is something actually you can do in in real life with your normal street car. If you get your normal street car and you go into a bumpy road and you just keep your steering wheel with just one finger, you will see that your body moves around and you feel a lot of abrasions, but actually the steering wheel does not move around really. It just stays there. Okay. Why? Because, you know, Modern engineers know what to do in the in the um, suspension geometry in order to avoid the so-called bump steer. So well, I avoid... can't even
0: imagine if people's steering wheels were going back. Exactly, it'd be a wreck so on it... the roads out there.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So you go into into the sim and you simulate everything correctly, and the steering wheel doesn't move. But your brain waits from, for vibrations, Just movement, something, something. You know, and there is nothing here to help you, except the steering wheel. And so, two different uh, schools are, are formed. Uh, we are from the school that say, you know what, no, simulation has to be simulation. Your steering wheel has to give you just the exact information that the actual car should give you. Yeah. And the rest, slowly, your brain will understand the new language. That's it. Okay. Uh, the other school says, well, no, we will add some extra effects. Uh, to make your steering wheel move a little bit around, so that will give you extra information of what the car does, uh, and so on. Which so you is can retrain file? your
0: brain into this is what I need to do because my suspension's bouncing my hands, but that's only because we, you know, that developer decided that's how you're going to know something exactly. is going on with your car. Exactly mm. that. Okay.
2: What's the issue for us with this? Uh, the the problem is that. Um, when you add the extra sliders and the extra effects, you don't have objectivity anymore. It becomes something subjective. Mm-hmm. Someone might want the steering wheel to be like this. Someone might want it to be less. Someone might want it to be, yeah. uh, you know, stronger and so on. And so, first of all, we cannot teach people, okay, this car should be like that. And the difference with this other car is so big because they have differences in their suspension you know a vintage car from a motor car whatever mm-hmm. uh, and then we cannot teach people that you know when you go over that bump into that circuit you're going to expect this kind of movement and this kind of uh, change in the behavior of the car and then possibly if you have the opportunity to go to the real world you're going to find pretty much the same exact thing on your steering wheel so everything becomes subjective and me and that means okay. Who's right? Mm, yeah. I don't know.
1: Who knows? Yeah.
2: I cannot tell you anymore.
1: Well, this is... So, yeah, sure. This is an interesting conversation that we had with um, Gem Hepworth. She came on the um, the show a few weeks ago. We were discussing how, if you're in a real car, you have to set up the car for the track, right? And that that that's kind of it. You set up the car for the particular track you're on and then you tweak it and then you're set. Whereas with sim racing, there's so many things that you have to set up and they all combine with each other. So you would set up your car for the particular track in the sim, but then you might also change the settings within the sim, so set of course own settings. But then some people will say, well actually a set of Corsa reacts like this versus say iRacing that reacts like that. So make sure you also change your wheel <laughs> settings. And then others will say, and actually your brakes as well, because your brakes, they have different linear scales. So you should probably be putting on a harder uh, spring on your brake. And this is, this is all now, we are now so far removed from actual motorsport. So I suppose this Kunos method, if you like, of trying to remove the amount of sliders in the settings, in some ways makes it more realistic. Although I can only imagine the number of people you've had saying, no, if it's simulation, then we need more settings. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah uh, I can never say that this makes it more realistic or not. It's a different approach. It's our approach. Uh, and I cannot tell you if it makes it more realistic because simply because uh, there are very capable people out there that do something a little bit differently than that, and everybody can learn from everybody. So honestly, uh, it would be you know too unmodest to say uh, to, you know, oh, yeah, we're doing it right. Who knows? What I can tell you is that I can give you the same setup on the same car in the same conditions, okay? And you might tell me, oh, this setup is oversteery for example. It's an alien setup. It's too, too much oversteer. I cannot handle it. And I can uh, switch a little bit, I play with, a little bit with the damper on your wheel and you will instantly say, oh, the car now is perfectly stable. <laughs> and we haven't touched anything on the actual car handling characteristics uh, that that gives you an idea how subjective uh, you know feelings uh, can can change your opinion about how the car behaves
1: it's so complex because it's so multi-layered and it, it's almost like sim racing introduces more layers of complexity which kind of it can make it quite daunting i remember um when i first started sim racing and, you know, I had AC and content manager and I went to the settings and I saw all of these different options and I was like, Oh my God. And I just set up the wheel and I Googled what are the best wheel settings. And then I'd Google like, what are the best AC settings and blah, blah, blah. I thought it was all right. And then you read so many people's opinions, which is so vastly different from the previous one that you read, which was, you know, the, the standard that everyone was going to use. Um, it, it, it was quite difficult to work out, you know, where do I, where do I start with all this?
2: Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I did also in my live stream, we often talk about that. Uh, my personal idea is that the brain has to, to, to get used to whatever you're using. And one of the errors that um, SimRacer are doing is they keep on trying to find out the perfect setting. Now, guess what? There is no perfect setting. There's no well, perfect no. setting. The perfect
0: setting is where, like, you're a better racer. So it might be messing up the car settings completely, but the way that you drive the car, it fixes it for you. So that's like your perfect setting. And then, if, you know, Tom was to come sit down on my setup and drive the car after I've put it together, he's like, what is this rubbish? This is not (laughs) right at all.
2: (laughs) That is very true. But the problem is uh, that there is always someone faster than you. And the moment that you see someone faster than you, <laughs> you start tweaking again. Ah, uh, So maybe you, know, you start having doubts. So maybe my settings are not good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why the other guy is faster. So you start tweaking again. And the brain still goes into you know, uh, unknown territories. And it's like, oh, now what do I have to do? I don't feel the car anymore. And you keep on tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. And the brain messes up. And at some point it's like, oh, this is shit. I don't like it anymore.
0: I've, I've run into that with my Fanatec setup because inside their, their own software built into the wheel, you have a hundred different things you can adjust. Well, not a hundred, but you know, I'm exaggerating there, but then you try to adjust it because of, you know, some forum post that you've seen. And then you change your own setup and you're like, I don't even know if this changed anything. I don't know what I'm feeling here. I'm just going off of someone else's perfect setup. And uh, yeah, I agree because now I just go with the auto setup which was the best thing that Fanatec ever did for me, ACC, I'm just like, yep, just configure it however you think is right, because you know more than I do. I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> Would you yeah, say that-, that you have a distinct advantage when you're tweaking your settings? Since you are the vehicle dynamics person, you have like, oh, if I put this to to this number and that to that number, it's like the god mode.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the god mode, because... Uh- <laughs> every single person has uh, different expectations in terms of feedback. You know, feedback oh, yeah. not only from, from the steering wheel, but from everywhere else. Uh, my advantage, my personal advantage is that I'm very fast to uh, customize myself into different things and that's why I think I'm able to work uh, fast into the sim because I jump from one car to another to another to another mm-hmm. every single okay. day and it takes to be a little bit fast to, to uh, get used to it. Uh, So, what I've learned is, if something works, don't change it, because your brain is used to it. For example, I'm still using the old drivers on the Finalec right now and the old firmware. I still haven't tried the new one. Hmm. Why? Because I was working on the DLC and I didn't want to mess my my brain Uh with. Now that the DLC is out, what I want to do is, you know, finally um, install the new drivers. Give myself uh, like a week to accustomize uh, back to, to the new feelings that I am going to get, and then once I'm okay, that that, that that works good enough, not perfect, good enough. I will stop tweaking, I will do nothing at all. I will keep on you know driving for another week or so, and at the end of the week, your your brain gets used to it, and okay, that it's, this is fine. You don't have to yeah. play, change it anymore.
0: Well, that's the, that's the smart way to do things, because if you change one variable, you can identify whether or not that variable had a negative or a positive impact on you. So that makes complete sense. I am guilty when when I'm making adjustments on the cars in games. I'm like, oh, let's change this and this and that. And then I'm like, well, I messed something up, but I don't know which setting was the key to messing all of this up. So I, I definitely need to adopt that strategy as well. Now, me and Tom have talked about this before, where we need to devote more time into tweaking our cars and, and putting our cars together because uh, Tom over here, he cheats a little bit and he gets setups from other people when we're racing against each other. He'll just, <laughs> you know, message our sim racing team, hey guys, give me a perfect setup for this track and this car, and then all of a sudden he's super fast.
1: Well, Let's, I uh... mean, I, the temptation is real. With Our sim racing team is fantastic. Tristan is an incredible engineer. So if Chris and I go do some laps, I'm just like, ah. Oh. If I message Tristan and ask him how to how to really tweak this uh, this RSS Formula One car for Imola, it's going to make a difference, and it does. It makes a huge difference. And then it will be about five laps from the end of the session where I'm like, "Well, ugh, that new setup really worked for me." And Chris's like, "What?" Yeah, I'm like, oh, all I did is
0: change the fuel. Like, that's
2: it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Especially with I, uh...
2: very complex car, you also you the complex of the car it is the more you know, the setup will make a difference.
0: Yeah, Yeah. pretty much I've always just run on Vanilla and then I'll adjust the tire temperature or the tire pressures based on whether or not I can get them up to temperature or not. And that's about as far as I go in the adjustments there just because, I don't know, I just don't feel comfortable that I would be able to identify and fix anything that I mess up whatsoever.
1: I also think it's probably the case for 70 to 80% of sim racers that they will find more time just by getting better at driving than they will by doing their setups, which, you know, it's got to be the more fun way of doing it too, right? If I have limited amounts of time each week to race and I am like, okay, when I'm racing, obviously I want to get faster. I can either spend a load of time in a setup or loads of time just doing more and more laps. The laps, you know, the laps are always going to win. Right.
2: Practice will give you seconds. Uh, setup will give
1: you tenths of seconds. So, very true. Ah. Very true.
0: So, so, oh, go ahead, Tom.
1: Oh, sorry. I was going to just move us on a little bit and ask about your streaming. So, as a game developer and a streamer of your game, you must, you must be, you must have been quite conscious when you were making that decision when you started streaming. It's like, right? Do I start streaming myself? Race? There must have been this thing of like. I am going to be kind of putting a bit of a target on my back because yeah, that... all of those people in the forums can now be like ah now I can I do this it live, live.
0: <laughs> it's almost like walking on coals it is the comparison for me like
2: <laughs> there are a couple of things you know that uh well, first of all I can perfectly um agree with you that uh there have been many times because you know development doesn't always goes perfect you know and many times, you do things and the, the game ends uh, being buggy. And so, you have to, to deal with it because, uh, unfortunately, in development, and I'm sure Chris knows that much better than me, uh, time needed to, to correct bugs or to find them or to put out hot, uh, you know, fixes uh, is it, always long. There's not, nothing like, okay, instant fix for something. So, you know that you have maybe a bug, and you know that there is no easy fix, uh, and so you have to endure and uh, reassure maybe the people, or you might not even know if you can fix it or not. So, there have been many times that I'm about to do the live stream, and I'm like, why? You know, why should I do this right now? (laughs) Uh, But uh, it has been very surprising uh, for me. First of all, uh, while, as, as I said, there have been many times that I was very frustrated to start the stream, uh, at the end of the stream, almost, I can tell you, 99% of the times I'm happy and more relaxed at the end of the stream. So right. that tells a lot of how mature the community is nice. uh, and how they can you know, just give you a little bit of a slack and let you enjoy yourself and the game and the rest of the community. Uh, and that's very important, yeah, and it also says how the trolls out there or the aggressive mm-hmm. people out there um don't really have the uh the courage to come to a live stream and you know talk to you directly,
1: <clears throat> yeah, and
2: that, I... that tells a lot that you know they're just good at going in and leaving some harsh comment into a forum and then disappear,
1: yeah, I was just about to say that exact same thing that 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 that's got to be a huge element of it. Of somebody, if maybe maybe somebody, you know, has a grievance with it, and they're like, right, I can see that Aris is streaming. I'm going to jump into the stream. And I'm going to tell him. And then as soon as they see that you're a real person, just enjoying your evening off, having some having some fun on the sim, and maybe you're already talking about the bug, and oh, you know, I've had a really long day today because I'm trying to work really hard to fix this, this bug. Maybe there's an element of being like, you know what, let's be let's be a bit more constructive. I bet the feedback <laughs> that you get on your stream is far more constructive than, you know, just a kind of um, faceless comment on a forum.
2: Yeah, yeah it's, it's always surprising. I mean, I've, I'm still waiting for, you know, the mega aggressive guy to come into the stream and start, you know, insulting. Never happened until now. Uh, I had one or away, two, you know, banned and that, that was it. But we're talking about, I don't know, now we're not 35,000 people uh, subscribers nice. and i i mean i can recall one or two guys like that that's, that's
0: it. a that's a good ratio right yeah. there yeah hey this is chris from Gridfinder. thanks for listening to the sim sundays podcast head on over to gridfinder.com to find your spot on the grid and join sim racing leagues for all your favorite games just enter your preferred game car of choice then let us know if you'd like to race pc xbox or playstation and we'll give you a list of actively recruiting leagues for you to join and If you're a league owner, post your league on GridFinder so that you run with a full grid for every race. If you'd like to participate in the races featured in each episode of The Sims Sunday's podcast, join our Discord server by going to gridfinder.com slash Discord. We host a new car and track combo every Sunday at 8pm UK time and stream it live to our YouTube channel. Thanks for being here.
1: So Aris, I have a question about the whole, you mentioned earlier a phrase which I shuddered at because it's a, it's, a, it's a conversation that I've seen many times, and sometimes it goes well and sometimes it goes bad, but I'm going to roll the dice. And you kind of made that comparison of simulator versus arcade. Now, on Gridfinder, we have a huge number of people that love the Formula One game. So I think we have nearly a thousand communities now that race Formula One um, listing on Gridfinder. So, and, and the Formula One game has been accused of being an arcade, or some people use that word Simcade, um because it's trying to be a simulator i i always wonder with the set of Corsa, was it when you first when it was, was 2014 it was launched was it, was it set out to be a simulator first and then you know kind of entertainment something enjoyable second was it was it was it always destined to be a simulator or was it like let's work towards simulation but ultimately this is going to be a game for entertainment right
2: No, for us uh, first of all Assetto Corsa started its life as a simulator for professional work for some business clients. And then slowly, we try to you know, make a user interface around it and make somehow a game. By game, I mean a racing game. So you can you know, do your laps, do your lap times, do a race, put an AI inside multiplayer and so on. And for us, there was never, ever um, a question mark about should we try to go into something more easy. It was always uh, full hardcore simulator. And there are two reasons about that. First of all, uh, we think that real life driving is extremely fun. We know it, we do it ourselves. Modesty apart, we have some experience, uh, some wide experience uh, me, Stefano, Marco, uh, other colleagues inside uh, KUNOS as well now. Uh, so, for us, it's always you know driving your car or a uh, racing car, whatever, into uh, a track is a very nice and very fun experience. So, if you do simulation properly, it's going to be fun. Difficult. Uh, frustrating, maybe uh, hard, whatever, but it's going to be fun, uh, and that means also that you know, even if you're losing control, you need to understand, okay, why I've lost control? What happened? Uh, which, if you go back in time, you will always find this into our titles. Uh, every time you're losing control in Seto Corsa, Edgar Pro even, Seto Corsa Competizione, you always have an idea of, okay, what did I do wrong? Which is pretty much the same as what is happening in real life. Uh, so, for us, it was always full hardcore simulation uh, and if we do it right, it's going to be fun. The second thing is that as years uh, Went you know uh, went through, uh, it turned out to also be our uh, great advantage into the market. Uh, we always had great graphics. We all had amazing sounds. Now with the Centro Corsa Competizione, uh, we had good gameplay. Let's call it like that. Uh, <laughs> nothing incredible. I mean, we are not. Gran Turismo. We are not uh, Forza, Horizon, whatever. We are actually very happy when people are doing comparison with those giants. But uh, our advantage against those games is our physics, okay, and the fact that we can also bring almost as good graphics as them and even better sounds sometimes. Uh, And we can bring a good uh, gameplay for, for the racers. So, trying to take our advantage and make it easier, it's going to be a death sentence for Kunos, actually. That's how we see it. So, it will never happen. We actually don't know how to do it. So, I mean, yeah, I, mean that... I give you an example. Uh, Grand Theft Auto has one of the most enjoyable uh, <laughs> arcade physics driving cars with anything. You can use, uh, I don't know, your nose to steer the car. It's still enjoyable. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm talking about the nose because, you know, you, you can see the advantage here. So, <laughs> uh, and it, it will still be enjoyable and it will still feel like driving a car. Honestly, I don't know how to replicate something like that. I wouldn't be able to do it. So my advantage is do as good physics as possible. And if I do my job correctly, then it's going to be fun also for the people to drive it.
1: Right. And that is definitely, I think, the, the USP for a set of courses, right? I mean, that is basically whenever, whenever, so I actually came into sim racing, I think relatively recently, I think about two and a half years ago. And I remember looking up, you know, just Googling top 10 simulators or top five simulators or trying to work out where I wanted to start. Uh, and obviously the Gran Turismos and, and Forzas always came up and you said you can use your, your wheel and your pedals with them. And I thought, okay, well, that's good because their names I've heard of, they they seemed safe. But I remember that Assetto Corsa consistently came up as being noted for its physics. And that interested me because I thought, in my mind, it kind of elevated it above that game status. It It, it almost felt like something more worthwhile to dedicate my time to because I'm not... and maybe this is just a subconscious thing, maybe this is my own problem, but like the idea of (laughs) playing games in your evenings as opposed to uh, engaging with a simulator feels more like a worthwhile hobby than simply just gaming. I don't know, maybe that's just the way I kind of phrase it in my own head. That's how I justify the hours I spend on my sim. But I don't know, it it feels like going for the the title simulator versus game, it almost makes it it, it kind of, I subconsciously thought eSport, Hobby, you know, this is, this is something worthwhile to spend my time getting better at and something you could be proud of being good at. Right.
2: Well, you know, the, the game industry, this is something that the younger generations now realize and the old generations have troubles and issues with that still. Uh, and by older generations, I mean people my age. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the game industry now has a bigger revenue than film and music together. Together. Mm. Uh, yep. It's a massive uh, phenomenon uh, in in the lives of people, and uh, while it's great to you know game and have fun and whatever, as with films and as with music, you get uh, something uh, light and um, you know easy, and you get more uh, difficult things that need more effort to understand, to enjoy, to whatever. Uh, for me, doing something that uh, you know asks a little bit extra effort from from the gamer, and can also tell you know people that might not like games or might be you know doubtful about games or whatever. You know what. There's not just wasting your time. There is also uh, stuff you can do in gaming that it's also educative or uh, um, interesting. You can learn things even if you're not good, whatever. It's, it's quite important, I think, uh, you know. You, and, yeah, I mean, it is important to be able to say there is also entertainment, not just wasting time into something fun.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, I suppose ultimately you can't complete sim racing, right? If you play... I don't know, uh, what was the last game I played? Probably Red Dead Redemption, right? You can, you can play it, and then you can do a certain number of hours, you can do the storylines, but you can complete it. And I suppose open world, right. they kind of combat that a little bit. But still, there is a storyline which you can complete. Sim racing, you can never complete it. So there is never going to be a point where a set of courses becomes redundant because you never complete play it. like there is no there is no such thing so i suppose you must you must see that with the kind of the uh, the user behaviors right people spending more time more regularly for for years on a game as opposed to a big spike at launch and then maybe when a dlc comes out or i mean how how do you see it from your end do you do you see like consistency or are there spikes
2: there is consistency because sim racing is not just the um, the play, you know, it's not just the game. Uh, it's much more wider. It has much more depth. One of the things that I always love to say about sim racing is that sim racers are the most and best informed fans of motorsport in the world uh, because they understand much better what it means to race, what it means to drive. You know, you have people watching Formula One and then come back to you and say, well, they stay seated for one hour. Why do they get out of the car you know, so uh, drenched and tired? I mean, driving is not hard. Uh, and that is a very obviously uh, exaggerated example, but there are some people saying this. Uh, but you also have, I mean, even the journalists, the broadcasters, sometimes they do some incredibly mm, strange comments uh, and errors uh, mm. During the races, because they don't have the experience of what it means to be behind a wheel mm. and race, actually, race, you know. Uh, so, I'm very confident that we will see from the next generation as it moves forward and becomes broadcasters, becomes journalists, and we have already many examples of sim racers becoming broadcasters in official mm. uh, real racing or journalists, actually. Uh, they get a much better understanding of what is happening and they have yeah. more respect for the sport, they have more respect for the drivers, for the engineers, all that stuff, you know. Uh, luckily, we might see even less clickbait, but I've lost all hope about that, so... I don't... <laughs> Thanks.
1: Thanks, Netflix. Yeah, I am um, <laughs> yeah. I am definitely uh, in that camp as well, so I, I can distinctly remember, and I know the purists will hate this, but I, I, there was a time, where I hated Formula One and I would have, and I, I oh. guarantee I would have said that horrible phrase, there's just cars going around in circles. I don't understand why it's so interesting. And then I played Formula One 2011 or 2012, whichever one it was on a PlayStation or an Xbox, I can't remember. And all of a sudden I started to learn the tracks and you start to learn the cars and you start to learn that, that corners are characters in this story and each, each corner has its own different characteristics. Um, and then, when you watch a race again, you're like, oh, that overtake, how did he do it there? That's not a place to overtake. That's incredible. And you have this whole new appreciation because you're at, well, at this point, I wouldn't say I was a sim racer. I was just gaming Formula One. But you get my point, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. I absolutely agree 100%. I mean, you could, I couldn't have said it better.
1: So... I always ask this question and I'm intrigued to, to hear your answer as somebody who's, who's kind of building uh, these simulators, but I've asked this question to a few people now and I've, always, and, I've, and I've said, if you could fast forward sim racing five years, okay, and now you're in this world of, of sim racing in five years time, what's the biggest difference that you're noticing between today and then?
2: Um... I think we will see more and more uh, real racers uh, inside our races, uh, real engineers, uh, and I be, still believe that, uh, you know, as usual, we will be looking at 5 years old sim, uh, simulators and we will be almost laughing about how uh, not accurate they were. Uh, to give you a very simple example, when Aceto Corsa went out, and through the years of its development, we were the first in the industry to implement things like active aerodynamics, active uh, differentials, active electronics, proper electronics, not assists, active rear, uh, rear uh, steering, uh, stuff like that. You know, and it was like, oh my god, amazing. And now people are, you know. I can see around in in, um, in forums, they are playing Seto Corsa 1 because it still has an amazing following and amazing mod uh, capabilities and everything. And they are like, well, yeah, the physics are basics uh, in comparison to modern simulators, but it's still very enjoyable, very nice. And I'm like, well, yes, up to a point, they are correct. So <laughs> you see how, how we move on. And I believe the same will happen after five or 10 years for Competizione, for example. Uh, or whatever version you know, iRacing goes from here to to the future, or whatever version Air Factor 2 goes from here to the future. Uh, it's always the same thing. We we keep on doing more and more going forward.
1: I, uh, I always wonder about the mods because, you know, no doubt, well, okay, I say no doubt, maybe this is just my own personal opinion, but AC seems to have had a very long run of being super popular, and perhaps it's partly because of the modding culture, because you can go and race whatever, and there's whole companies that are set up selling mods for yeah. the game, right, but I wonder... Especially now after this 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 episode where you've told us so much about the intricacies of how you develop a car in the game and how you make it interact with its surroundings and, and how you kind of get all of the you were saying that you get all the, the manuals and the documentation for the car and then you you've put that those numbers into the simulator to see what comes out. If a set of Corsa is largely about mods now. How much can we trust that those mods are going through the same processes that your cars are going, th- going through? Mm. And are we, are we playing an Assetto Corsa that isn't realizing its full potential because everyone's using mods which perhaps don't use the same intricate models that you would use? Uh,
2: there are two sides of, of the same uh, coin. Uh, I truly believe there are modders out there that are doing some outstanding job with the physics as well. possibly. And almost surely better than what we did back in the times on of the official uh, cars of, of uh, Aceto Corsa. Um, so by all means, those guys are, keep on, you know, pushing the level up. Uh, and unfortunately, there are many motors that they are doing bad job other. Uh, not only in the physics, but also reaping you know uh, content from and other games. sims and so on, and they are asking money for it and that is really bad. This is one of the worst things that has happened into the community, especially because unfortunately, the community is not mature enough to say, "You know what? you are doing shitty job and you're asking money, and we will just you know talk bad about you, and we will make you." Slowly go away because you won't find any uh, uh you know uh any green uh um, uh grass for for you to 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 keep on doing what you're doing mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, this as I said, is not happening uh on top of that, you also have people without much experience they go into a bad mode they see that the car has extra grip, so they can drive it. And they applauded it like, "Oh, this has perfect physics because I feel so much." Can drive it? Yeah, I can drive
1: it. <laughs> yeah, because because I'm such a pro race driver. If I can drive it, bad- it must be. Uh... Fantastic.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the bad aspect uh, of of uh, modding. But this is pretty much what is happening in real life everywhere in society. Every single part of society works right. like that. You have that bad aspect. You have the good aspect. So. Uh, you know, bitching about it, sorry, <laughs> makes <laughs> me an old man, you know, uh, but it is what it is. This is how society goes on. Mm. If you don't have one part, you can't have the other one, and right. vice versa. So yeah. it is what it is.
1: But equally, that's an some- Incredibly valuable mods, right? So I suppose it's not so much a mod in the sense that we've been talking about it, but content manager. Loads of people use content manager and you know there's it's it's easy to load mods into into the game. Like do you ever as as Kunos, do you ever sit around and look through things like Content Manager and other mods and overlays and, and things and think, oh, we can learn this, you know, we can we can use this for say AC two or for an update or for you know how much do you look to the modding community for inspiration?
2: We do look to the modding community. We don't say I can use either this or that because it's also dangerous because mm-hmm. we are a business and they are not, you know? Yeah. Um, if we really need something, then we will contact directly and see if we can do it together. Or, or sometimes it has happened. Uh, those people came in and worked with us our, as colleagues. Um, I know, though, that Stefano has often uh, helped. Uh, uh, the guy from content management uh, manager, and they work together to give even more information on how to do some things. So by all means, it is uh, supported up to a point. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's how it works actually.
0: So did we cover a lot of the viewer questions since since ours did lose connection? We'll let the race continue, of course. Yeah, but. We can go into a little bit of the Q&A section so that the race participants can hear. Their
1: questions yes, I was answered. just um, I was actually just teasing a question from Mark um, whose question kind of alludes a little bit to AC2. So we were talking about AC2 and we were talking about the process that you go through to decide what it is you want to do in the next game. And at that point, collision happened.
2: Right. So, um, yeah, next title, because AC2 doesn't exist, actually. Uh, so next title, how do we choose if we should go over to a next title or not? Well, first of all, Kuno Simulazioni is a business. And as a business, it has to stay healthy and keeps on making sales. So at some point, our good uh, you know, founder, co-founder and... Uh, Uh, General Manager and CEO, uh, Marco Massaruto, who is extremely, extremely good with uh, uh, excels and the business plans and stuff like that. He seems, he he sees a decline or something. Okay. And that triggers the, you know, alert that, okay, the title is probably mm, getting old. All right. Uh, So he tries to understand, do we still. You know, manage to keep on going and doing DLCs and keep the title fresh, also in terms of economics. Or do we start planning something different? And at the moment, this question comes. It also starts the discussion with the lead programmer, uh, which right now is uh, um, Alessandro Piva. Back then, it was Stefano Casillo. And the discussion is: Have we reached the limits? of the, the title in terms of development, and we are suffering, improving it, bringing new futures and so on, and so probably it makes sense to start from scratch again and do something different, or do we still keep on going? Uh, and it's, it's like a Formula One car. Every year, Formula One teams brings a completely new design. And sometimes you know you are wondering why did you do that if last year's car was still winning and it was very competitive? And the answer is always that last year's made all the developments that they had in place and arrived to a point that they couldn't improve it anymore without starting over from from scratch. So this is the same more or less with uh, with uh, a game uh, code. Uh, it arrives at a point that the code gets messed up, and you cannot easily fix something without breaking something else, and so on and so on. Um, if the sales are start declining, you know the uh, management also comes in, and all of those things comes together. And at some point, you decide, you know what, maybe it's time to start doing something different. Uh, Sometimes, although now it gets less and less uh, you know, common because obviously we are a much bigger company, but sometimes it also arrives to a point that, you know what, I've had enough of this, I want to do something new. <laughs> you know That, that also, also happens. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's how the whole discussion starts. As I was telling you before that, uh, in terms of physics, we are quite in a good position that we don't care much about it. So if we, if we have a big breakthrough, uh, like it has happened with the Corsa 1 and it also has happened with uh, Assetto Corsa Competizione going from 1.3 to 1.5 and 1.8 and so on, if we have a breakthrough in, in the physics, we just go in, release it, the uh, development team that is doing the console uh, uh, code is going to go crazy and uh, uh, you know, insult <laughs> us for, for years to come. But it is what it is, and uh, we just move on.
1: So for those that don't know, explain that relationship between PC and the console game. How does that work? Well...
2: Um... PC, as you know, guys, we are releasing our products in uh, the Steam platform. Steam is like a big app store with games. And Steam is extremely good at uh, leaving the possibility to the developers to update anytime, whatever they want, how they want it. No practically, uh, you know, uh, it's like do something, ask questions later, and uh, apologize even much later. (laughs) Uh, That means that for a small uh, development team like ours, uh, who is also pretty anarchic on how we do code, you know, uh, we are not really following deadlines very carefully or, uh, uh, you know, uh, development uh, guns, like, oh, I found something new. All right, boot it in, you know, send it in. (laughs) Who cares, you know, if if you destroy everything else. Uh, So for us, a platform like this is fantastic because we can release something and then we can keep on doing hot fixes like every day or even more times during the same day, if needed. Uh, Consoles are a bit different. Uh, Consoles, you need to have ready your product and you need to send it for approval to uh, the console manufacturer, so Sony or Microsoft. And it goes through uh, lots of um, testing. And here's the issue. If it doesn't pass some of of the things that uh, it needs to pass, they have rules uh, for some things. uh, Or for, you know, heaven forbid, there is a crash or a bug, and they find that bug, uh, even though they haven't finished the test, they close everything, they send it back to you and they tell you, well, this game crashed in this situation. We don't know what's happening next. You might have even other bug, but they will tell you. They don't know. Mm-hmm. And you have to go back again, fix it, and then resubmit. Now, you have to understand that for every submission, uh, you need at least one week or 10, ten days okay, to happen. On top of that, add also the uh, time that you need to fix the bug. And sometimes, unfortunately, us being us, uh, you might have even more bugs. So you fix the bug, you put it on, they test, they go farther ahead, and they find another bug, close again back, and send it back again. And so weeks, weeks are accumulating like that and uh, that would have been fine but there is a point that after a couple of submissions the next one also costs money Mm -mm. so there are problems or problems of problems so what a team like us can do what we do is we put the uh, pc version out first we fix and hot fix all the little bugs and issues we can find. When we are finally relatively confident that the release is stable, then we get all that code and we pass it to the team that is doing the conversion. That team needs the time to get all that new stuff and you know convert it for the console. Uh, hopefully, they also do a great job. They send it to for submission and then maybe a bug finds out and then you have to do it. So, as you can see, weeks upon weeks, months are (laughs) accumulating or something like that. It's not an easy progress. We are getting better, but not that good on that. So, the the blame first is on us to to be able to release uh, a code that is uh, mature enough and then the conversion uh, software house also need to make a good job and uh, make it in a way that uh, the, the the console uh, testing uh, goes through the submission process without problems.
1: Well, that was uh, incredible insight into the like <laughs> what it's actually like on a practical like on a practical basis to actually deal with these pushes. Cause you see people like, when's the next push? When's the next push? Like, right. why is it so far behind? I want this, I want that, as if it's just a case of just you're there, just you know, having a cigar, be like, oh, all right, fine. Well, well, there you go. And it's just completely at your, you know, your whim for the, to do these updates. And actually, there is a huge amount of of, of process and hurdles to be navigated first.
2: It involves a lot of swearing and bad words. I can tell you that. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's also. I mean, when you think of it, out of the whole, you know, problematics and the stress of the release, you can understand why people complain. And some, sometimes you also complain, you know, uh, quite strongly. Uh, and they are right, uh, but. This you can understand only when everything is fine, and you just go a step backwards and you see everything in an objective way. Mm-hmm. When you are into it and you are really, you know sweating and trying to make things work, and you have the whole world against you, even though you're doing your best. Uh, and this is something also I want to, to get back into, that uh, the, the whole thing doing your best. Uh, so at that point, you also have the community, you know, uh, talking bad about you, and it's 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 get it gets hard real fast, and uh, it's difficult. Um,
0: so but it is in- what
2: it is that you can never win. That's why usually you never see us commenting stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Well, with all the red tape for the console version, is there ever a time where you guys kind of wish you didn't? Didn't dive into the console market and just kind of stuck with PC, so that you could put out those daily hot fixes or even hourly hot fixes.
2: Yes and no. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, especially when you are dealing with issues, you are like, "Why am doing that?" You know. <laughs> uh, but again, as we said, when things are somewhat calm, uh, you can step uh, back a little and think about it and see that you are actually having. Uh, the best or pre- maybe the only hardcore racing sim title in consoles and you see the whole enthusiasm of, uh, of communities and for example we were talking before that uh, modes is what keeping of 1 alive which is true up to a point but not completely because if you see the bigger screen you will see that the sales are pretty much equivalent still now between consoles and PC. Okay. And the consoles have no modes whatsoever, but it still keep going as strong as the PC version, which means that also the vanilla project is is very good and very appreciated from the console community. Uh, so when when you see that is, and you also see you know the the uh, business part of of the thing which is well. in the end, you know what what pays. <laughs> uh, for, for, for our families, for our uh, uh, hobbies, for, for whatever, you know? Uh, you see that in the end, it's worth it. Uh, it's, it's always worth it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that's got to be difficult also is uh, in regards to bugs and, you know, they send it back each time. You mentioned very casually that you have a conversion house. Like there's another developer that's doing the conversion for you, right? Yeah, so right now, you yeah. guys could have solid code. And then the conversion house could have a bug in their code and then it's just one of those things where if you can't find something then you kind of have to send it up the line right
2: um it's it would have be actually it would be disrespectful to say this and i'll explain you why uh first of all we are the ones doing the the main code and the main code is not perfect it has issues uh and when you so those teams, now that they work on, on competition, for example, uh, they are doing an incredible job to be able to get a very, very complex piece of code and optimize it for a much, you know, not much now with the modern consoles, but still a lower performance hardware than right. uh, a top-end PC. And they have to go through the code, through the graphics, through the models, through everything. okay. And in the meantime, uh, they are not Kunos, so they could just say, you know, that's the best we can do, <laughs> deal with it, but they don't. Right. Uh, they feel the passion and they try the best that they can to take another man's code and make it work, which is extremely difficult. Uh, so, there is only respect we can have for for those guys, honestly. And you know what? Uh, they are also in a very bad position because when all things are great, everybody in the community is, "Yay, Kudos, you are the best." Yep. And when things are not so great, ah, uh, bad guys. They did the confession. They're the worst.
0: You are the worst, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. And and that really is not not good for them. And. Uh, we are, I think we are good people and we, are, we feel very badly when this happens. So, and unfortunately you don't even have much time to be able to help them because you're still working on your projects. Oh yeah. It's not like you can, you know, give 100% of your attention to help those guys understand what the fuck we did with our code, you know, on some occasions. On top of that, uh, there are also situations where they have almost everything ready and we come out and we say, oh, we did that differently, you have to change it again.
0: Oh, i seriously like,
2: guys, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, they, they don't have an easy job, for sure.
0: Well, that's, I mean, I guess I didn't mean to obviously call them out or anything, but I, I have done conversions before where it's like, oops, I didn't quite get it right. But I can, uh, I can imagine those meetings where they have a staff meeting, Tom, which we were talking about meetings a lot this week. And uh, y- the other developers go, hey, we're ready to launch this product. And Kunos goes, wait, but there's yeah. more.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> with us, with us, it happens all the time. We are terrible at that. Terrible.
0: Well, you're always trying to improve the game. You're always trying to make the physics better or make something more interesting or more simulation-like, so you know it, it. makes sense because if it wasn't a passion project, then you would just be like, "Oh yeah, we're we're done." We're
2: yeah, for, for sure. That's it's fine. Uh, this is actually why it also hits more, you know, in in the feelings when you are getting uh, bad comments from the community or review bombed for the better or the worse. You know, sometimes yeah. they are not correct. Sometimes they are correct uh, because you are doing this uh, for for passion. I can assure you that. Pretty much everybody in Kunos is doing, it never does nine to five. I mean, nine to five for us is who knows yeah. what that is. So right. It, it's just fix it, make it work somehow. You know, that's not yeah. work. And this brings me to what I was telling you be- before. And I believe this also happens pretty much with all simulators, uh, software house in, in, uh, you know, in this job. Uh, what you guys see, it's not like some other software houses where um, they have some big titles, right? Now, I, I need to be very careful of, of how I express this because I don't want to get misunderstood. When you have thousands of developers and you have software titles, games that costs hundreds of millions of, of dollars, euros, uh, whatever, um, and you have to get out in a certain deadline, uh, the job of each of those developers is, yes, the best he can do, but also very well designed before that. So, someone in the management w- who has, for example, you know, development skills, Uh, picks a developer that knows that can make a specific single job they will assign to him and he knows that he can make it in, I don't know, one month, let's say, all right? And you get assigned to do this and you are running, because it's always a running uh, thing, to finish your job in one month and you know that you have only one month and it's not enough, so you cannot go over that and do extra stuff to make it better or worse. It mm-hmm. is what it is. You have to finish it. It's almost like industry, you know, uh, production. And this is not because those guys are the bad guys and they work like that. It's because when you are doing, dealing with such immense projects, immense projects, and with so many people, if you don't organize everything like this, then it's, it's simply not doable. It's not doable. When you have uh, a software house like ours, which is you 20-30 know, people, whatever, uh, you need to have the other kind of uh, management. Uh, you need to pick very passionate people that even if they don't know initially how to solve a problem, they will go out of their way and work their asses out to simply find a solution and improve. Okay. And when the title goes out and they see another title doing something better, they will still keep on doing you know, after hours and see if they can improve their part of the job to make it better. So in such small teams, whatever you see and you play as a sim racer is the best possible outcome this team was able to do all the time. Uh, it's easy for you know a sim to ask for more, and rightfully so. So, they will ask you to do this better, to do that better. Uh, why don't you see what the other sim does and do it like that and whatever, you know. But it's simply not possible. What you get is the best know-how that the team in this amount of time is able to, to deliver to you. Uh, and sometimes uh there is also the factor that you know it works, we shouldn't change it because it will ruin everything else and will break everything else. Because even for smaller teams like ours and relatively uh I won't say small but limited project like Santo Costa Competizione, for example, I mean it's not cyberpunk, it's not I don't know uh whatever. Um it's still very, very complex uh, code. Oh, yeah. It's still a very, very complex project to deal with. And complex uh, projects means that sometimes you know that there is an error, or you know that something can be done better. But it's simply not possible in a normal time set on the code that you have already. It would be much easier you know, to start from scratch and do it properly. But at that point, you say, you know what? Maybe we can do it on the next title.
0: Right. And that's gotta yeah. be a hard pill to swallow, just saying, oh, well, it's not really possible on the engine or the code base that we have at Absolutely. the moment. That's unfortunate. Cause it's almost like this constant nagging, like scab that you keep picking at. And it's just bugging you because you know it's there, but there's not much you can do about it at the moment. Um, I'd hate to cut us off, but we are running, running. Pretty long at this point. So, Aris, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Uh, You could share your stream links and your stream schedules and all that stuff with the communities out there.
2: Well, mm, you know, everybody knows where I stream and everything. So, you can find all the information around the social media and stuff. Uh, I would like to thank you guys, uh, GridFinder, for everything you do. And most importantly, uh, and it's not because I want to, you know, seem to be nice, I really like to thank all the sim racing communities, organizers, legal stewards, broadcasters, and everything, uh, they are the heart of what we do. They give value to what we do. Uh, they organize you know, the people around them. Uh, they make people happy by letting them enjoy uh, the game they, they love and they give extra value. And most importantly, what we've been doing, you guys all, you, you've been doing for, for, for years and sim racers, Um, and I I would say two decades now, right, on the sim racing scene, Uh, when the pandemic happened, and at that point, the real motorsport said, you know what, we might need something to keep our sponsors happy. Mm -hmm. You guys, all you guys, everybody, every single even the, the last sim racer that just went to a stream to 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 watch you know and make a number you were ready for that and you you saw how mature and uh, well organized the whole sim racing community is around all these titles and those people from real motorsport found an incredibly big community ready to support them and the end result of that is now they watch at our industry, at our uh, you know uh, ambient uh, and communities with a little bit of a different eye. they They are oh, yeah. you know more interested to us, and they have a little bit more respect, uh, actually, certainly much more respect than before. So yeah. again, thank you to to everybody. It's really important
1: well, um this might be a nice way to end then, because uh, Mark Braddenbury, part of our discord has asked a question and um, I kind of want to give the last word to him because his the end of this question is fantastic but I'm not going to read out the question because we've covered a lot of the question already but he asked about um about um, tracks about are we going to add Manny what about the Mustang and Toyota GT4 he talks about the Nordschleifer. he says <laughs> he's asking questions about safety cars virtual safety cars and adding realism blah, blah 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 but then he finishes with this which is lastly thanks for an amazing sim that has got me to where I am within the sim racing and the real life world. So there's just, you have so many people who, yes, they're asking for stuff, but equally at the back of their minds, they're going, thank you so much because what you've created is a huge part of their life. And I know Mark Raddenberry has worked in real world motorsport because of sim racing. And a big part of that will be because of a set of Corsa
2: imagine if we weren't lazy guys just imagine what we could achieve that's all you get that's it
1: (laughs) well thank
0: thank you so much for coming on the show it's uh really interesting to see inside the world a little bit more of these games that we we all enjoy so much um Please, when the next one comes out, let's reserve a space so that you can talk about the next version of Aceto Corza on the show with us. And that would be an absolute dream for Tom and I to be able to be almost an exclusive with you. That would be awesome. Uh, Tom, <laughs> any, what do you want to share? Any last things? And then I'm going to close it out for the day.
1: Nope. thank you very much, Aris. Thanks for your time. Um, if you're at Sim Racing Expo, we'll both see you there this year. And uh, there. We nearly finished a race.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nearly. This time I didn't get to take you out and and throw you into a wall, unfortunately. But next time, (laughs) I will will be sure to do so. Um, If you guys like F1 racing and also interacting with the community a little bit, go on over to gridfinder.com slash gridrival. We run a fantasy league over there, and I've been nosediving in the standings, but I'm going to make some big adjustments to my team this week. Um, if Ferrari would treat Charles any, uh, <laughs> any why? Good, <laughs> then I would <laughs> be doing much better because, because I, I still believe in him, so I keep him on my team. But uh, we're sponsored by Racer, so obviously uh, affiliate links and all that stuff will be in the description if you're looking for something new for your rig. And we release every single Sunday on podcast services, Apple, Google, Spotify. And if you like to actually sim race with us with our guests hang out with us on sunday evenings 8 p.m uk time 3 p.m eastern in the u.s and that's all i have for us today so thank
2: you Aris, once again thank you guys thanks everyone we'll see you next time